Hello and welcome to the Elevate podcast. I'm your host, Adam Harris, and this podcast is all about helping leaders have more focus, flow and fun, uh, becoming better individuals, uh, having better companies and living an awesome life. Today, I'm joined by a proclaimed author uh, of three books, um, really articulate and intelligent individual who does a, has done a huge amount of research. Uh, and it's been my joy and pleasure to kind of get to know him over the years. So please welcome to the podcast, Leo Bottery. Good morning, Leo. Uh, pleasure to be here, Adam. And it's been a pleasure to getting to know you as well over the years. First, uh, uh, during a trip over to the UK where we spent some time together and of course, remained in touch ever since. And I always uh, appreciate that. So Leo, you are massively into the aspect of peers, mastermind groups, and kind of collaboration. Just in a couple of sentences, can you just summarize what it is that you do and who you do it for? Sure. Um, well, I work with peer advisory groups and with organizational teams to take the principles of what high-performing peer groups do so brilliantly and apply those principles to teams in organizations and companies today to help increase and improve their performance. So there'll be a number of people that kind of be listening to this podcast who may not have come across peer advisory groups. Uh, What are they and who are they for? Yeah, well, you know, I'll, I'll, Maybe describe it in the, I worked for a company um, for a while um, at Vistage uh, and Vistage basically assembles and facilitates peer groups for CEOs and key executives in about 27 countries around the world. These groups get together in roughly um, about 12 to 16 members. They meet about once a month. They may meet, you know, in the case of Vistage, they meet for a full day. Other organizations who run similar groups might meet for a half day. But they're basically designed to help one another be better leaders, number one, and help um, each other's organizations grow. And you're, you're sitting with a group of CEOs, let's say, in a CEO group, where everyone in that group typically represents a different, definitely a different company and most certainly probably a different industry than you're in. So it allows those CEOs to kind of get out of their company, get out of their industry sector and really see what's happening um, across the organizational spectrum. And there's an incredible amount of insight and ideas that they receive. I know you know these groups um, you know, quite well, Adam, and they, they just do extraordinary work together and really help each other learn and grow um, at, I think, an accelerated pace. So before you came across or you or you joined uh, Vistage, had you had you personally been involved in uh, in other mastermind groups? I had not. Um, they, they used to operate as tech uh, when I was living in Florida, and I did not join a group in that time. And actually, it would have been really great if I did. You know, that would have been uh, fantastic. So what what was it what was it about the kind of uh, the model or the people sat around the table which kind of really inspired you um, first and foremost to do the work that you were doing kind of within the organisation but second of all then as you left to kind of go actually this is a this is an area that I really kind of want to focus on and and research and delve into more. You know, it really started when I was, so when I was at Vistage and I headed up brand communications there and I was leading a brand refresh of the company shortly after private equity had first purchased the firm in late uh, 2012. And I'm going around the country and I'm asking CEOs, like, how do you learn? How do you grow? How do you bring new thinking in your organization? They'd tell me all kinds of things, everything from reading books to having a coach to hiring consultants to going events and conferences. Some said they went to the executive development programs at various universities around the world, but nobody was mentioning peer advisory groups as even in their consideration set. Having the lens on this from being at Vistage, I saw how incredibly powerful these groups were, that you could take people who shared that common challenge, for example, of of being a CEO in the case of a CEO group, what they learned from one another and how that boosted their leadership skills and their businesses was really extraordinary. If you look at the number of people that are actually in groups from the number of people that could be, it's the gulf, the gulf is enormous. And so I'd really thought to myself, why should this be such a great secret? Why shouldn't we take a position? And what I recommended the board essentially was that us and everyone like us in this space is trying to sell a Mercedes to someone who doesn't even know what a car is. So, so what if we stepped back 
actually looked at this entire category, looked at peer advisory groups, um, not only in the U.S., but, are, but around the world, and see what is it that makes them so incredibly effective. So this is where the first book, which I essentially co-authored with the CEO of um, Vistage back in 2016, uh, came out. And I've been at it ever since, you know, not only um, continuing to write two other books, but again, really being able to bridge that gap and create those connections between what peer advisory groups do so amazingly well, what makes them so effective, and how that applies to um, teams and people's organizations who, you know, I think right now in many respects are really struggling. So peer advisory groups, and you kind of mentioned there is that um, the amount of people that could or should be in them is uh, is really small compared to those that actually uh, are. Yep. Why Why is that? Why is it that um, uh, there's a struggle to collaborate, to communicate, to have our thoughts and ideas challenged? Well, you may have just put your finger on it right there at the end where, um, you know, these groups aren't for everyone. You have to be the type of person who is truly open and willing to talk about your business, to think to others, right, and think that I can learn from other people who do what I do and and not feel as if you're just going to keep things close to the best and keep things isolated and just kind of depend on uh, the people you have around you, which as you know, I mean, in many respects, they have oftentimes some self-interest or some stake in the outcome in a way when you go to a peer group, they care about helping you wanting to learn and grow. But by the same token, they really don't have any skin in the game in that regard. So you get, I think, a, a level of impartiality uh, with regard to their advice. But I think for a lot of people, it's difficult to go into a room of people they don't know and and think that that's how they're going to do this. So they seek out other ways of trying to learn and grow. Many of the ones I mentioned that are often more comfortable, but typically more passive learning experiences and not always things that are going to directly challenge or directly, you know, I think force us all to kind of look in the mirror and say, am I doing the very best I can for myself, the people who report to me, for my company, what does that look like? And I think that's a hard conversation for um, a lot of people to have. Do you feel that the the tide is turning with the uh, um, the new kind of type of leader, um, which for some has already, you know, they've always been like that, but there's now more of a a wider acceptance of kind of the you know the vulnerable, authentic leader. Do you think that dovetails quite nicely into uh, the aspect of uh, peer advisory groups? I do. And I think uh, people, you know, there's more and more written about it, whether you're looking at the Brene Browns of the world or, or other people that talk about vulnerability as a real gift, as a real strength, um, as opposed to, you know, some kind of a weakness. So I think the acceptance of being more open, being more transparent, we've got new generations in the workplace that not only expect that, but many respects demand it. And so there's a whole different level uh, of transparency that I think uh, has made a big difference with how people are seeing peer advisory groups and other means of, of connecting uh, with one another. And I think that's a really good thing. So, um, Leo, what was the what was the title of the first book? Uh, how did it come about being written? And what's the, the value of benefit for people that want to read it? Sure. So The Power of Peers, How the Company You Keep Drives Leadership, Growth and Success, uh, again, was written pretty near the end of my tenure at Vistage when I had suggested to uh, the board that we step back and not just write a hardcover brochure about our company and how great we think we are and what value we provide, but to look at the entire category. I said, A, so we could really provide a narrative for people to figure out okay, now I understand what this value proposition is. Now I can at least evaluate whether this is uh, for me or not. And also, I think a second real benefit of doing that was the more we were able to study what everyone was doing around the world, it's a, a learning moment for the company as well. And I think that that um, certainly never hurts when you, know, you want to get a sense of um, you know, how other people um, do things. And I think it was really quite instructive. So you mentioned there about this aspect of the the company that we keep. Um, you know, there's a there's a famous saying which is, you know, you're plus or minus ten percent of the five people that you that you spend the most amount of time with. 
Why is that really important when it comes to being uh, a leader and you're sat around a table with a, with other peers? You know, what is it that we need to be challenged and we need to be learning from others about? Well, first of all, I think another um, popular axiom is who we surround ourselves with matters, right? Who we surround ourselves with. These people either uh, lift us up, hold us at bay, or even drag us down. So I think when we can get people around us who, who care about us and who actually can provide us with that, you know, requisite balance of support and challenge in with the purpose of just we're all here to help each other do better. Uh, nobody's here to call each other out. Nobody's here to do any of that. We're here, you know, for one another. And and I think that's what makes it, you know, I think very powerful and very sticky. Um, most people who actually do join groups and get involved with them and, and really get into the flow of it, they stay for years. And um, they, they not only develop great relationships, but I think they remain connected to the purpose of why they joined the group to begin with. They see themselves growing. They see their companies growing. They, they know they're doing better. They're happier. They can spend time not just with things at work, but in things that matter to them in their personal lives as well. And I think this um, is you know, hugely important to people who have that responsibility of sitting in that CEO chair. So um, how many groups are you personally in with regards to uh, surrounding yourselves with peers and what's the value? How did you kind of get involved with those? Did you create them? Uh, and what's the value that you personally get from uh, from being in, in those? Yeah, um, so I'm part of a couple of virtual groups. Um, and the reason for that for me is that my travel schedule is such that I, I can't really be a very reliable participant uh, in in-person groups. Uh, but I have one group that I um, connect with where largely the people are out of Europe. And that's just because that's where this um, mastermind group, um, you know, started. So I have the benefit of not only just being able to be connected people, which I can do already, you know, in my own proximity, but to be able to talk with people about how they're doing things around the world and what's happening uh, there has really been wonderful. And it's been, it's given me a really great perspective. You get a lot of terrific ideas, a lot of great thinking, a lot of uh, people um, and introductions that have been uh, really important. So, you know, I, I absolutely believe in the concept. And at some point in time, when I get myself to a travel schedule that's more predictable than the one I have now, I would love to be uh, back in part of a, of an in-person group that met, um, you know, as well. So let, let's just pick up on that. Do you feel that there is a difference between um, being in an, you know, being in a peer group and meeting virtually or or in person does from your perspective in the research that you've done does it make any difference it's different it, uh, i wouldn't suggest it's better or worse um and, and that's i think what happens sometimes when we look at our in-person experiences and we try to compare it to virtually say well that's not as good as in person well wh what are you talking about exactly you know um and by the same token there are some advantages again i mean just think about the group that i'm part of where i get to sit down on a regular basis with people from like six different countries and I mean, that's pretty neat. That's not something that is a practical matter on from time, money, everything else that, you know, is going to happen. And and we do connect, uh, you know, I think in a very powerful personal way where we talk about things deeply and we talk about things that are the same kinds of issues that can come up, you know, in in-person conversations. So I, I personally find that, um, you know, really terrific. Now, in an in-person group, clearly you might meet once a month, but you also have an easier ability to connect with people between meetings, which can often be great, you know, in terms of, you know, when something comes up, there's a certain challenge, certain opportunity, something that isn't going to wait a month, you know, where I could really need some some input and insights on these things. And, and I think oftentimes, when we are developing those personal connections and we can strengthen those, um, it's certainly a benefit. But, um, you know, I think we're very fortunate. You know, we go through COVID and I had so many people complaining about Zoom and, and virtual this and that. And I would remind them that if COVID took place during the same time as the 2008 financial crisis, there was no Zoom, there was no Slack, there was no Microsoft Teams, there was none of it. 
And we'd have been in a world of hurt trying to keep things moving, you know, without the tools that we enjoyed uh, during COVID. And I think it was actually quite helpful to have that ability, number one, and then for people to get creative about how they use these tools and then understanding that you can't replicate an in-person environment, but what you can do is use tools that, you know, are, are very powerful in creating a, a virtual environment and do things with them that allow for um, a, a level of interaction that, um, you know, that that um, is really workable. So, uh, you know, I, I think... Um, I'll tell you another thought, um, just regard to COVID, and that is, for many companies, I noticed that employees got closer and actually built better relationships and were more collaborative and co- collaborative and cooperative, um, working from home than they ever were going to central workplace. It was almost as if you had to pull people out of the office to bring them closer together, and in large part, the reason for that was people would get on. And there'd be dogs and kids and all kinds of craziness going on. There's artifacts in the background of people's houses and these things like that. And they really started to, I think, connect to their shared humanity. They became, you know, I think cognizant of like all of the challenges we were dealing with. In addition to just trying to do our jobs, you know, we're probably homeschooling kids. We're worried about elderly parents. We're all of these things going on. And I think it connected people in a powerful way that gave people just that little more that that patience and that level of understanding and that ability to really see and work with with a fellow human being not just a coworker. and i think that was um you know one of the pretty powerful outcomes of of that whole experience you have leaders who today will even admit now i begin meetings with how is everyone doing not just what are you doing you got that done yet you know and, and this kind of thing and i think it's changed a lot so, um, Leo, you, you you wrote the first book um, and kind of realised that actually there was this, there was this real need for it to be kind of having the narrative and having the having the conversation. As right. kind of the, the the months the months came after uh, the book being published, uh, what sort of what were the conversations that you were kind of having, uh, and what was surprising you about the result of the the success of the book? Well, two things happened after the book was published. One, uh, I was surrounded by about nine vistage chairs in a meeting who said, all right, what are you going to do with all these models and all this content now? And on one track, um, you know, I worked um, with their encouragement to create a workshop um, that where we could take a lot of these models and we could help uh, existing peer groups raise their game. We could work with brand new peer groups to look at how they can leverage all the intellectual and emotional capital in the room and how they create value for them was a brand new experience. Um, And of course, making that link to teams. By the same token, or during about the same time, um, I had a gentleman, his name is Randy Cantrell, great guy who just loved the work and and said, look, I think you should do a podcast and I can help you do it. I'm not going to charge you anything or, you know, I just want to help you extend the reach of this message. And I thought, well, wow, that's, pretty nice and and pretty incredible. So we talked over a couple of months and I said, all right, well, let's go ahead and make this happen. And so 2017, we called the podcast the year of the peer and largely did that just so that I could have an exit strategy. I didn't know if I would love podcasting or not. And I figured, okay, we'll do our 50 interviews, which is kind of how we decided to do it. And, but it was during that time that I interviewed really 50, really successful people in a wide range of fields. And with every one of them, I asked them the question, um, did you become successful all by yourself? And of course, every one of them laughed at the idea of that. It was just absurd, right? They said, there's countless people that have have helped me. In fact, I will never, ever be able to thank those people. At the very least, I just want to make sure I'm able to pay it forward and however I can. And so I wanted to take a lot of the things that I learned from all of these people with the idea that, you know, it's not just our formal peer groups. It's our kids, it's our parents, our teachers, our friends, our mentors, our mentees, all of the whole circle of people we surround ourselves with that have incredible impact in our lives. And the title of the book, What Anyone Can Do, How Surrounding Yourself with the Right People um, with Love Change, Opportunity, and, and Personal Growth, was basically came from a line in a book from Joe Henderson, who was the former editor of Runner's World, who was talking about successful people, successful runners, um, but also said, look, most of these folks, he said, they're not 
capable of superhuman feats. They don't leap tall buildings in a single bound. For most of them, they just do the things that anyone can do, that most of us just won't. Most of us never will. So the idea is that we could actually be more active in enlisting, engaging the support of others to recognize that asking for courage, asking, excuse me, asking for help is not a sign of weakness, but an ask, an act of resourcefulness that they can help us do these things that anyone can do far more often. And that was really the premise of, of that book. So we went from formal peer groups. We went um, more broadly to that. And then if you think about it, in many respects, you take a lot of the content from both of those books, and that's what you know fed peer innovation and the difference it can make for teams inside any organization. I don't care if it's business, sports, it doesn't matter. So you pick up on, for me on a really interesting point about this mm-hmm. uh, this vulnerability, this uh, access to to being able to ask for help. Uh, a friend of mine in the UK, Andy Laparta, wrote a book called Just Ask. Mm-hmm. Why is it as as leaders, and especially the higher up we go within organizations, we find it really difficult to just ask for help? Um, and, you know, wh- why is that? Well, by the, the older you get, and by the time you become CEO, you're supposed to have all the answers, right? You're supposed to know. So the, the, the whole idea that somehow you're going to ask for help seems a little anathema to to many CEOs in many respects, right? Um, but I think it is true that it's not a sign of weakness. I mean, you're surrounded by all this talent. You've got people, you've got specialists all around you. Why in the world wouldn't you kind of enlist and engage their wisdom and their knowledge and their support uh, to, to better the organization? So, but yeah, I just think it's a, it's a real thing. And, you know, it's easy to ask for help when you're a kid. You know, it's easy to say I'm a great artist when I'm a kid. Uh, the more you grow up, they say they ask you, "Can you draw?" No, not really. No, I can't. <laughs> you know, or or and you just won't ask for help in quite the same way. Which is why when we talk about having a beginner's mindset when you come to a group meeting, it becomes really important that you, you know, you, you can have speakers at meetings, or you can have all of these things where you get all this content, and it's not as if for anyone who's in this space. They've heard a lot of this stuff before oftentimes, but it usually comes in a different format, in a different package, in a different framing. And I think when you can have that beginner's mindset and really be open to whatever it is, that nugget of of wisdom, that little thing that someone can add to your body of knowledge and be open for that versus being closed versus think, I've heard this all before, and then you shut yourself down. That's a skill that not only helps you in terms of becoming a great group member, but think about how important that is as a leader. So I've seen you uh, twice actually come into the groups and and deliver this presentation um, around, you know, collaborating and working together. I would love for you to just share what's the one or two key bits uh, of that presentation and, you know, in in helping benchmark and talking about the success of a uh, the success of a successful group. Um, But also love for you to kind of share. Uh, some of the data and some of the things that you picked up, because you've done this to literally to hundreds of groups across the world. Mm. I'd love right. for you to share some of the insights and the data that you picked up along the way. Sure. Um, there's a lot, lot to unpack there. I'll try to be succinct about it, though. Um, I think when you look at two attributes or two, or two things that we found common, to high-performing groups and to high-performing teams as well, uh, is one, they have what we identified as a robust learning achieving cycle. This idea that, as social learning theory has told us for decades, people learn better when when they learn together. And in a group situation, they also give one another the confidence, the courage, and the encouragement to apply things they learn. And when they do apply them, even if there's some trial and error, and then they celebrate that win, all it does is just fire the engine for more learning and growing. And it becomes really powerful. Again, you have that beginner's mindset. You have that growth mindset um, that that starts to be something where you start seeing results for that. You want to do more of it. Um, Second was that the difference between group learning and almost any other kind of way we learn, because often it can be more of a passive experience if we're just if we're reading a book, if we're watching a video or hearing a presentation, um, is that 
groups give you both intentional and collateral learning. So the intentional learning just comes from taking in the content, as you might very intentionally. It could be about sales, finance, culture, whatever it may happen to be. The collateral learning speaks to what you learn from how you learn. So as groups engage one another in working, using models to solve complex uh, challenges and, you know, identifying possible, you know, opportunities within those challenges or or opportunities that are greater than would seem to be presented, um, you have to be able to be really present, to listen, to ask really good questions, to not make assumptions and jump to conclusions and judge others and all this kind of stuff. When you can do that, again, this comes out of that category, but not only makes you a really great member in something that is going to benefit you, but benefit, um, you know, others, but it's certainly going to help you uh, in being a better leader as well, because you're going to take those things and you're going to start modeling those things in your organization. When you think about going to a full day meeting, it's not easy to be 100% present in a full day, you know, eight hour session. But once you kind of build up to that and are able to do that, just imagine what it's like when you're back at your company and you're just that much more engaged and that much more locked in when your employees are speaking with you and how much that is noticed and what that means, uh, you know, just to be heard and and to feel that leadership's paying attention. So I think those two things, um, you know, are particularly powerful. And then, you know, basically said that, you know, those things don't happen just by putting a bunch of people in a room or on a Zoom or whatever and hoping for the best. Um, It really involves having the right people. What does that look and feel like for your group, for your organization? How do you identify the values and behaviors that make them a really good contributor? And how do you make sure you've got diversity in that group so that you're adding those different voices and perspectives that are so powerful? You know, you want them to enjoy what Google you know, identified as the key to great high-performing teams, which is having psychological safety, that they can be open with one another. They feel a sense of belonging. They can admit mistakes and ask questions and, you know, contribute ideas, challenge the leader, challenge the process, where you can really get the full benefit of this talent. You know, you're, you're unlocking, you know, what they're able to do. And with that, that's going to drive a level of productivity and an ability to have a healthy culture of accountability where people are giving one another that support and challenge that is rooted in the purpose of why we're here. You know, that things are not done because anyone's trying to embarrass anyone or call anybody out. We 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 have frank and open conversations with one another with the absolute understanding that this is all about how we do better together. And then I think on the leadership front, of course, you know, we certainly found in the work um, for, you know, CEOs that, or, or excuse me, for leaders of groups that uh, being a servant leader, like being there to make the group successful or the team successful was obviously really important, um, that they are a part of the group or a part of the team as opposed to being apart from it, right, where you can have easy to have a blame culture where if I just consider the world with me on one side and everyone else is over there, and if things aren't going well, you know, that can tend to go. Um, in that direction. And, and also the leader really serves as the steward of the other four factors. They're the one paying attention, as everyone else as well, but, but really charged with making sure we get those right people with those right behaviors, enjoy that safety, they're productive, they're accountable to one another in a way where they bring their best um, each and every day. And, you know, that becomes um, obviously hugely important. And those things are very foundational um, to what we do. I think as for any research that might surprise people, oftentimes I will ask, um, do do you believe for most CEOs, and I'll use them as an example, that sharing business challenges or personal challenges is easier? Easier to share business challenges or easier to share personal challenges? Any guess on that, Adam? Um, I think in my experience of my groups, I would say that uh, if the psychological safety is there, mm. then people probably find it easier to um, to share their personal issues because it's a safe environment. And actually, they don't want to be – there's probably an ego thing around not wanting to share the business issues. Exactly. Yeah. And clearly that's not the case with every single person or every single group, but you're spot on. I would say about three quarters of the groups 
that I visited would cop to the idea that even though they joined this group for that reason, you know, for their business issues and be later in the organization, they find that just a little tougher to, to clear that bar. Um, but they get there and they do it because they realize that as they see other people share and they model those things and they recognize, you know, none of us knows everything, which is why we're in this room. You know, so let's learn from one another and be open about being able to do that and be able to talk about what we don't know or what we're afraid of or what we're concerned about or all those things. And you start getting the dialogue opening at that level. And I think it makes a huge difference. So I, rem- I remember all oh, years ago coming across uh, or being shared a document which is called Armed and Dangerous, um, the aspect of kind of high performing, uh, I suppose, teams or even uh, groups. Uh, for those people that are listening to this that either run a, uh, a peer group or for those that are actually members of peer groups, what's the one or two questions that they should be asking of themselves but also the group uh, that would enable them to become more high-performing than they are currently? I think they really have to be specific about their purpose. And this is kind of interesting because um, there's a lot of – the implications around this are not small in that if you can get a group that is truly committed to one another and they start thinking in terms of, okay, why are we here? And why are we really here? Like, what are we really looking to do together? What is our why? Um, And they can come to that. Um, It does a lot of things. First of all, they can use it as a statement at the beginning and the end of every meeting. Here's our purpose. Here's why we're here today. Let's all look at each other and say, got it. You go through the meeting and at the end, how well did we do? How well did we live our purpose? And you can actually use those five factors to to say, did we show up as well as we needed to? Were we prepared? Were we ready to go? Um, Did we enjoy the kind of psychological safety? Were we as open as we could have been today? And you start looking at that and, and connecting people with, again, why we're here to like, how well are we really doing? Uh, in that regard. And I think uh, that's really important. The other thing that it has implications in a longer term uh, way, when as people in a group really get to know one another and and get closer together, you want to be careful that the relationships don't start to become more important than the reason and the why people came together to begin with. Because then that can hurt the efficacy of the group when people are just now tiptoeing around each other and they don't quite want to ruffle any feathers or or do anything like that. And and they begin to get away from that a little bit. So um, if I think when people really understand their purpose, and they also are clear about what they expect of themselves, what they expect of others, and what they absolutely would expect for any new person that wants to enjoy the privilege of sitting around that table with them, that there's some real, uh, you know, clarity about what that should look like. Because it's it's so important in terms of the the commitment level that everyone has to have to one another. So I'm not sure if it's in the dictionary yet, I and mean, you can tell me or not. But your your third book, Peer Innovation: uh, What Peer Advisor Groups Can Teach Us About Building High Performing Teams. Um, tell us tell us about that book. Yeah. So uh, peer innovation basically combines the words uh, peer like people like you and me, and innovation, creativity realized. And it's this idea of what we can do together, whether we're part of a group or a team, uh, when we are committed to one another and work to create something larger than ourselves. And this happens in groups and teams. And I actually define them uh, quite differently. I see a group as coming together for the benefit of the individuals in the group so that they can come away, you know, in the case of a like a CEO group, for example, where the CEOs want to be better leaders, they want their organizations to be better. Uh, teams work together because they have a shared work product or they have some collective goal that can only be achieved you know, by a team. Like you can't win a, you know, um, a Super Bowl, if you will. You, you, know, you can't win World Cup you know, by yourself. Um, 
by the same token, if you're part of an ad agency where you've got a lot of different disciplines involved when it comes to creating an ad campaign, you need all those people working together for that shared work product. And I felt it was really important to draw the distinction because all too often people talk about groups as some kind of lesser than version of a team. I don't think they're lesser than at all. I think they're every bit as powerful. They just exist for a different reason. And so, you know, I think that becomes, um, you know, an, an important distinction in the scheme of things for sure. So uh, it's interesting. I was just watching last night. I'm a big uh, NFL fan, which is quite strange for somebody that, from the UK now <laughs> living in New Zealand. But well, they play I, games I've over been, there. Uh, uh, in the UK, yeah. Um, so yeah. I've been a New England uh, pa- Patriots fan for as long as I can remember. In fact, I always say I was a Pats fan. I was a Pats fan when they were rubbish. Um, and I've just, uh, I just started watching a new uh, ESPN documentary called In the Arena, and it's talking about um, the kind of the rise of Tom Brady, but not necessarily just about about Tom. Uh, actually, all about kind of the culture and the, the ethos of the team. Um, and I, the second episode was sharing how they got rid of, uh, uh, in theory, the number one safety, who was a real key part of, uh, of, of, the, of the team, of the group. Uh, and when challenged, Bill Belichick says, I do what is the right thing for, for the team. Um, and even when other people around you may not be able to see the, you know, what the reasons why you're doing it for. Um, I, I, and it's, it's, for me, it's just com- kind of compelling, uh, watching. Um, you know, I suppose the, the it leads me onto a question around kind of um, uh, the aspect of kind of pushing the 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 boundaries. Jihari's window. The aspect of um, please share with me something that I don't know that I can't see, or I'm going to share with something that you can't see. How important is that with regards to kind of high performing uh, groups and teams? That it, you know, you mentioned you've got to have that psychological safety. But how do you facilitate the the difficult, what I would call frank and fearless conversations? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. First of all, you you most certainly have to have the environment to do it. What's interesting, of course, is that not everyone is prepared to access that environment at the same level, and that's for a lot of reasons. You know, let's face it: there are some people that just by nature will tell they'll tell their story to anyone who will listen. They'll say, you know, it could be in an airplane, could whatever, and they'll talk about anything to anyone. And that's just who they are. They're just really, really open. Uh, other people are just keep things closer to the best. They're much more private by nature. So it, it becomes tricky other than to, you know, people know the environment's safe because they've seen other people share very deep, you know, uh, consequential things that are going on in their life or going on in their business. And they see the empathy and the helpfulness and the way the group responds. They see how much that person gets the benefit of that conversation, along with many other people around that table who benefit as well. Yet, for some, it'll give them that tacit permission that they can do the same. For others, they still may want to hold back. So, you know, it's about constantly, you know, again, this kind of goes back to purpose a little bit. Why are we here? How, how can our expectation of ourselves should be that we are going to try the best we can to step a little deeper into that water, if you will, every time we come together, recognizing that it's an absolute act of generosity and courage to move forward and, and put yourself out there in that way. And I think by and large, uh, people are really good about being empathetic and being locked in and being engaged and, you know, practice is you know a huge part of that um and be willing to ask the questions and again the more people do it the more practice they get at it the better the questions become um the more psychological safety you have the more people start to feel that they will give the person the benefit of the doubt who's asking that question because they know it comes from that place of caring about them and what they've already expressed they want for themselves. So there's a lot of different dynamics um, going on here in terms of, of trying to lead that conversation. But I think, you know, I've seen, of course, many of the Vistage chairs, many forum leaders with Renaissance, many leaders, you know, whether it's a YPO, EO, different organizations, you know, be very skilled at that and, and, and oftentimes allow for the moment to kind of emerge in many respects, right? It's that whole Susan Scott line of letting silence do the heavy lifting every once in a while. And uh, 
I was thinking that that was that's exactly what I was thinking. That phrase, let the silence do the heavy lifting, in the, in in the fact that you know, and um, I, I think the art of facilitation is something that probably is underestimated. But you know, whether it be uh, a peer group or whether it be a uh, a team within an organization, is that to hold the space and the container that allows for that cycle, you know, to inadvertently kind of build that psychological safety to, you know, I, I kind of, uh, I suppose for me personally, I've always felt that I've kind of, it was an innate ability that I didn't realize that I had until somebody pointed it out, but the, the ability, the ability to be able to just look at somebody and with your eyes, just say, it's okay. You're safe. Tell me what you think. Uh, and you know allow them and give them the permission knowing that they're they're not going to um they're not going to be judged or if they are that the facilitator or the person that's holding the space is going to is going to make sure that they uh they're they're held um you know some people would call it the container etc um leo i just want to um uh go on just help people understand how are you engaging with um first and foremost like peer groups now, but also uh, with the work that you're now doing um, when you're going into businesses um, and also the team that you're now building. I, I know there's, there's quite a bit there, but I'd love for you to kind of share uh, where and what, where and what you're doing within your uh, business. Yeah. So I continue to speak um, to Vistage groups, both groups that have been around quite a long time who they just kind of feel like, Hey, we, um, believe we can be doing better. We think that a workshop like this can help us be intentional about kind of upping our game a little bit. And quite frankly, the better the group, the more likely they are to see opportunities for themselves to get better and grow. And it's actually really a remarkable process to watch that. Um, for brand new groups, it, again, it's really about them just trying to figure it out. Hey, we joined this group. Um, we think we have a good idea about what we joined, but we're not really quite sure. And we work together to help them uh, come together and create the group that works for them. You know, I often mention to uh, groups or teams for that matter, I'm not here to tell you what's right or what's wrong or, or this or that um, and, and to assess anything so much as I'm here to provide you a framework and some models that help you find your own way to what works best for you. And so that's a lot of the work that I'm, I'm doing with groups, uh, with Vistage and with other groups um, you know, as well, I'm doing quite a bit of work with Renaissance Executive Forums um, most recently uh, with the Virginia Council of CEOs. Um, so that work is great. And I always learn something at every group meeting I, I attend. I, I have to be that beginner's mindset, that empty cup, you know, when I show up to those meetings. And, um, you know, it's really helpful. On the other side of things, it's interesting because there are some member companies, for example, who if I speak at their group, they're thinking, hey, could you bring that into my organization? There's certainly some of that. But there's also some larger companies now that I'm working with, some actually some very big companies that are really getting into this idea of what can peer groups inside my organization do? Uh, because you think about it from a learning and development perspective, you know, we can spend, I mean, Quite frankly, globally, there's hundreds of billions of dollars spent on executive development uh, in companies around the world. And yet there's really no mechanism oftentimes for people to really apply what they learn, you know, in a way that you would, you know, I think be happy with the with the return on investment on that. So, um yeah, there's just a, there's some real opportunities with the uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. People are looking at, hey, you know, having diversity is one thing. Really being able to, you know, tap into that, um, both from a um, race, gender, um, every perspective you can imagine, multi-generational in particular, as we are in situations where especially these larger companies have up to five generations working in the workforce and people need to figure out how can we be more intentional about understanding each other and how we can work together and what we can learn from one another. So there's all a range of those things right now. Um, and I think actually before we came on, it was kind of an interesting piece of research that came out a couple of months ago from Grammarly and Harris Poll, where they basically said that U.S. companies alone were losing 1.2 trillion annually doing, due to ineffective communication. I mean, think about that, right? So when you can bring peer innovation into a company, 
where all we're all about is how do we create clarity among one another about what we expect of ourselves and others around us. That's a that's an, an important, I think, step for a lot of companies to take. And I think the value uh, for them can be enormous. So, Leo, you've uh, you've realized that actually your work is uh, hugely beneficial um, and you've uh, widened the net of people that can deliver your uh, wonderful work, of which you bet. I'm one of those people. That's right. Um, I'd love for you to. I'd love for you to just share uh, why you decided to do that, and and the impact that you know that it's going to have on on more companies and groups as a as a result of having uh, more people that can deliver the work. Yeah, well, first of all, I can't do it by myself. Um, and while there may be some online components and all of that, there there's an aspect of this that is very human in terms of wanting to extend the reach of this content and needing more people to do it as the demand for it grows. I'd rather have, you know, 10, 20, 100, 1,000 people talking about peer innovation around the world um, than just my voice on it. So it, it became really important. And in fact, as you know, Adam, being part of that first cohort, we had. Um, essentially nine people from four different countries who who participated. And I was amazed at just the range of background and experiences, right, that people brought to the table. And one of the things that was really important to me um, when people say things like, well, hey, Leo, you created this stuff. I mean, at least in terms of these models and frameworks and kind of the lens that you look at this through, I'm not going to be able to deliver it in the same way you would. And my response to that really is, I don't want you to deliver it in the same way I would. I want you to deliver it in a way that I never could. I want you to take your experiences, your background, every all the richness of, of everything you bring to the table. And when you start connecting these models and connecting this work to what you understand and was, what is a part of you, now all of a sudden you have something that is not only so credible to the client, but feels really authentic to you. Now you can speak to it in a way that's all your own. And I think, um, you know, and, and we're going to continue to work on that aspect of it because, um, you know, I think that's essential for everyone to be, you know, successful in getting this content out there, putting it in the hands of more and more people and um, having them realize the benefit from it. Awesome. Um, last couple of questions. Um, so first book was 2016, Power of Peers. Uh, second book was what anyone can do 2018 uh, 2020 was peer innovation um, we're now in 2022 uh, is the next book uh, in development if so I'd love to know what you what the title is potentially going to be yeah I thought you're maybe going to accuse me of slacking off you know if I didn't have another book out by 2022 <laughs> but I, actually um, what I have spent some time doing is working on a, a, a short ebook. Um, with Mike Richardson and Jason Richmond. Um, and Jason runs a company called Ideal Outcomes. And um, Jason is the former business development director for Dale Carnegie. And we wrote a book called The One Advantage. And it basically brings peer, peer, peer innovation, culture, and agility into um, kind of a bit of a triad that provides for a larger offering for larger companies who are really interested in diving into those three areas versus coming at it from any one side. So um, that will be coming out in the next few months. And, you know, that was that was fun. It's a kind of a, again, not kind of a full blown book, but it'll be something that will come out in 2022. So there we go. Awesome. Um, Last question. So if feels that you've literally just scratched the surface around uh, this right. aspect of peer innovation. Um, and, you know, it's only going to grow and develop, you know, the aspect of kind of coming together, psychological safety, uh, learning, uh, learning by doing, but also learning from others. I, I wonder in, if we, if we look forward 20 years, uh, not necessarily the legacy that you want to create, but what do you think the importance of the conversations will be then that are different to kind of now around this subject? You never know. I mean, they could very well be different conversations, but they'll be important ones. They'll be developing clarity about whatever is essential to 
be talked about at that time. And I mean, just think about the fact that we're trying to actually combine collective human intelligence with artificial intelligence in the workplace in a way that's going to be, look really different, you know, in five, 10, 20 years from now. Um, my hope in terms of what peer innovation could be and how it is inside companies that it enjoys the same level of uh, understanding as uh, emotional intelligence or psychological safety does. And so, you know, we've, we've got a, a mountain to climb there, but by the same token, I think anything that works and anything that, you know, I believe can create clarity in the complex world we live in, um, you know, I, I like our chances. Leo, awesome. I mean, um, yeah, I think there's so much opportunity for, for where this is, uh, is going to go. It, it pleases me having, um, ran mastermind groups in theory for probably about 15 years. Um, mm. I just love your, I, I love your work. Um, I, you probably don't remember this, but we actually met in, uh, I was thinking about this this morning on taking the kids to, to school. Uh, we actually met in a trusted advisor group, uh, meeting, uh, in Dallas at one of the Vistage, uh, chair conferences. And I remember just feeling, uh, quite overwhelmed by your high level of intellect. I think I'd only been a Vistage chair for maybe a couple of years and I was still really quite uh, young and naive. And I just remember sitting there going, this is a guy who's got a huge amount of intellect and the way that he sees the world is very, very different. So um, it, it kind of massively pleased me as the years have gone by is that uh, I respected and appreciated the work that, that you have done. And actually what excites me is about the work that you're going to do moving forward, because like I said before, I think I don't think I know that this is a subject, an area that is literally just scratched the surface, which for me, actually, when you when you think about how individuals and how teams have been developing, it's kind of like a, almost this secret source which doesn't really get talked about. You know, yep. um, uh, teams and collaboration have been there for for hundreds of thousands of, uh, of years uh, so um, I love your work. It pleases me and makes me proud that I'm able to uh, to share it. Uh, so uh, so thank you for allowing me to uh, to be part of it. Um, this is the uh, Elevate podcast um, where I get to interview people that I know, people that I don't know, and helping uh, individuals and leaders uh, have more focus, flow, and fun. Uh, if you are in a peer advisory group, uh, maybe you should recommend your other members to to listen to it. Um, if you're not in a peer advisory group, uh, reach out to Leo or I and we can signpost you along a to one. Um, and if you're within an organization, again, reach out to Leo or I and we can we can share some tools, some best practice that you can take some of the concepts that we've been talking about uh, today um, and implement them into your organization. Uh, Leo, thank you very much. Uh, this is the Elevate podcast. And until next time, bye for now. Yeah.